What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Hungry Few podcast. Today, I have an awesome guest for you guys, Jonathan Amen. He is the owner of Amen Media Group and Common Sense Events, and he also has two different podcasts that he hosts. Thanks for being here today, Jonathan. <laughs> Thanks so much, Riley. Appreciate you having me on. So let's just go dive right into it. Let's let's explain your company and how you got started with uh, that industry. Definitely. So I'll start with Common Sense Events. Uh, it is an event staffing company, and we started it uh, while I was still in college. Both my wife and I were still in college. And at the time, we were I, I was really trying to figure out what I wanted to do. School didn't really come naturally to me at all. And so after I worked a bunch of different jobs, at any point I had like three to five different jobs. I was figuring, you know, after I graduate, I need to figure out something to do, either get a job or make a job. And I was picking up shifts at that time with a catering company and, you know, just picking up random, random odd job shifts. And I noticed that every single time the catering company would hire a staffing company, the owners would complain. The staff cost a premium, the service was at an all-time low, and the folks who showed up just weren't excited to be there. They just didn't care. They were just always looking at their watch wondering, you know, when, when do I get to leave? So I saw that and I thought maybe this is an opportunity, started bringing some friends in, and before you knew it, started running their whole staffing department and then asked them, hey, you know, I think I'd like to do this. Like, can I just handle all the staffing for you? Would you refer me out to other companies that you know of? And that's really where the staffing side of the event, the wedding and event business we have uh, started. That's awesome. So you saw an opportunity within that market and just jumped in the water and went for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it was kind of, it was a little bit, I don't want to say accidental, but I didn't start it with the intention of growing this big, you know, company or even having a small company. I just started because I needed extra money. And then I followed this breadcrumb of needs that I, I felt like I saw. And as that happened, I steadily became more and more passionate about service and about customer service, but then also about entrepreneurship. And that's what led me to uh, eventually start Amen Media Group, which is a little media company and both podcasts, just because that's, again, something I'm super, super passionate about. Love that. So explain more about how you transitioned from that company more into the media side of things. Crazy story, actually. We, uh, at the time, so I was working a bunch. I was actually running two different jobs and we had the staffing company. And so I was working just a crazy amount. And at the time, I actually made some, some poor decisions and I ended up with a DUI. And I had a couple of options. I could either do, when I, when I took the breathalyzer test, right, my blood alcohol content was super, super high. And so as a part of that, you know, they said that you could do some jail time or you could go on house arrest. And for me, this was super devastating. You know, I had uh, my first son was already born. My second son had just been born. And because it happened in San Diego, where I was driving from work, uh, because it happened in San Diego, I had to be on house arrest in San Diego, but my wife and where our family lived was in Temecula in Riverside County. Yeah. So I had to go be on house arrest in, in a different county. And during that time period, I was able to, I basically quit all my other jobs and I just really focused on the business. And so while on house arrest, we actually were able to scale the company from doing maybe $10,000 a year in, in net revenue to in that three month period, when I was on house arrest, we did uh, around $120,000 of sales. So we did, we broke the six figure mark. We just really crushed it. At that point, the, the fire, like the passion for entrepreneurship had really been lit inside me. And 
I started making these videos called rooftop rants Mm -hmm. on the roof of the house that I was living in. That's awesome. And I put them on YouTube and the media thing kind of started there for me. And so I, I actually just got a Best Buy credit card and, and I didn't really have that much money, but I bought a drone and I started flying the drone around and, you know, doing these videos and putting them on YouTube. And I just really, I saw that people wanted to watch videos like this. I felt like I had a story to tell. And so that really was kind of the first seeds of where AIM and Media Group came from. And as I started running and maturing in the other businesses that we had, I just realized that being able to share your story as a business is exceptionally important. And so many people, I think, especially in the wedding and events industry, they do such a great job at practicing their craft, whether that's floral design or owning a venue or whatever. But a lot of times people struggle with the media execution of it and really showing what they want to show online. And so that's what we're passionate about at Amon Media Group, you know, being a team of videographers, photographers who help do that. But then also now we've added live streaming, of course, with everything that's happened with the pandemic. So yeah, that's that's for us been um, kind of the driving factor and a long story to how we started Amon Media Group. I want to get back into that too and how um, how Corona actually affected you and the shift that you had to make. But going back into the the whole DUI story, one of the questions that I love to ask people when I'm interviewing them is how has one failure within your life or within your business really affected the your path to business and how has it turned into a success? How has it helped you develop to the person you are? And I think the DUI story, you know, and really going over there is probably one of them. I mean, being in that house and it's probably, it probably was a blessing in disguise and it eliminated the distractions that might've been holding you back from getting to that next level and exploring media, you know, what's really got you to where you are today. Are there any other examples you can give of a failure that really turned into a success or that helped you along your path? Yeah, that's a great question. A really good insight. I think a lot of people underestimate the power of having discipline and really cutting out all distractions out of your life. It's very hard. It's very inconvenient. And I know certainly if it wasn't done for me, I don't know if I would have gone that route, but you know, I kind of was forced into it and then I did take the ball and run with it. So that's, that's a really interesting. I, I kind of didn't think about it exactly that way. And that's a great question, but Riley, to kind of answer your exact question for me, I've learned a lot in working with people and I've made a lot of hiring mistakes that I think have really made me a lot more effective as a business leader and have certainly helped me to have a lot of humility. And, uh, you know, Gary V says, you know, hire fast, fire fast. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I like that. I think I tend to hire a little bit slower. I like to get a good idea of a relationship with someone. I think, especially being here in California, you know, it's important to be careful as an employer, but then also from a empathetic standpoint, you know, you don't want to string people along, you know, you as an employer, you do really want to treat people correctly. And so for us starting out with the staffing company, we had so many employees, we had so many 1099 folks. I mean, at one point we almost had a thousand people who we were working with and uh, you know, we did Comic-Con and Stagecoach and all these other big events and being in those interviews and curating a team of people that really were passionate about customer service taught me so much about not assuming things about people and so I think those, those failures that didn't come by accident, those came because I, I would mess up several times. I would make assumptions about folks that they'd be a perfect fit and then they weren't. 
And that came around to kind of, you know, bite me in the butt. So that I think would be a wonderful example. But I got to tell you, my life is full of like, you know, these, these failures, but yeah. fortunately I, I think that I'm failing forward. I'd like to imagine that at least. And those I think are an integral part of growing as a person. And so, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's hard to even say just one there's been, there's been plenty of them. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. And I feel like that's a similar theme along pretty much every entrepreneur's failure is really just, it's going to come with success. And when you understand that, then you're not stuck in indecision. When you have the fear of failure, then you're you're going to be stuck in indecision. You're not going to go anywhere. And so when you fail fast, fail forward, as you said, you're going to actually get to the, the next point of success that you're looking to get to. Building off of everything you were just saying, something that would be really good to dive into for the audience is you, you talked about building teams and how you really build a team centered in customer service and how can we serve our clients the best? How can we serve our customers the best? I think Chick-fil-A is a phenomenal example of just customer service. You know, they're well known for how awesome a customer service they are. And I feel like you have taken on a role kind of similar to Chick-fil-A where you want to make sure that the customer comes first. How do we make sure we're above and beyond when we're taking care of the customer? Um, I think it would be interesting to kind of dive in deeper to how do you really install that into people and how do you motivate them and get them behind your vision and your mission so they can carry that along. A lot of times CEOs, entrepreneurs, they'll struggle with outsourcing certain things or delegating certain tasks because their belief is my employees can't do it as well as I can. And so they have that fear of doing it. How do you really build up those teams and have the confidence that you did that they're going to carry along all of that after you train them? So I think there's a couple things there, right? There is there's finding the people and kind of instilling some of that that passion in them. That but then there's also kind of where does that confidence come from? And I don't think it takes confidence as much as kind of a sense of almost indignation or insult at when you don't receive good customer service, right? Like Riley, I'm sure you've been at different uh, experiences, whether it's dining, whether it's in a retail environment where there's poor customer service. And so for me, just from an empathetic standpoint, you know, when you're at a wedding, when you're at an event, this is a period in time that is, is fleeting. You know, you, you're at the wedding for a couple of hours, right? And you can't give those hours back. You know, if we go to the store and, and we pick up, you know, our iPhone here and then it doesn't work and it's faulty, there are warranties, there are returns. And we can go ahead and, and give that back to the store, replace it, swap it out. At a wedding or event, you can't give someone another experience. You can't say, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry about that. Can we, can we do that again for you? So for me, that was a big driving factor and, and really the confidence wasn't even a, a thought. It was more that we just have to do this. And so that that really brings me to the point about you know the people and how do you instill that into people? I think entrepreneurs, uh, CEOs, different people definitely do struggle with that. But I think it's because of a misconception that they need to do everything. And I think that there are stages in the business where maybe an entrepreneur does need to do a few things. But as entrepreneurs, as business leaders, as leaders in general, even in in organizations, you have to work with what you have. And sometimes you don't have any people. Sometimes you don't have any money. Sometimes you have a lot of people, but no money. Sometimes you have a lot of money, but no people, right? There are all sorts Mm -hmm. of different things. So just understanding what you have, working with what you have and leveraging that to kind of the next place 
is in my opinion, the best thing a leader can do. And really you need to understand yourself as a person. I can't talk enough about self-awareness. I can't talk enough about empathy because when you allow those two things to drive you, you realize where you fit as the entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Or as the technician or the person in the business, you realize your place and you realize how you can best leverage your skills, your abilities, the gifts you've been given to actually improve the guest experience, the client experience, customer experience, whatever it is, right? That for me is a big thing as far as how we actually found people who would would do that and would support that. It's all about, it started for me telling them to be selfish, which I know maybe sounds a little weird, Interesting. Yeah. but you know, if we think selfishly, we're thinking about ourselves, right? And we're thinking about the type of experience we want to have. And we're thinking about, you know, in a job, you're thinking how much money you're making, your employees, you know, your fellow coworkers. And so I was just saying, you know, if you're here, if you're going to be working, think selfishly, you want to have a good time, right? You want to make mm -hmm. a lot of money. You want to work with people that you like. And so to do that, you need to be having a good time. You need to be the type of person that other people want to work with. And if you are that person, everyone else around you will realize it and they'll realize, wow, we can, we can really get behind this person. We can work with this person. We can have a great time. And then that will bring in the jobs, that product of people having fun, people looking to serve other people and people enjoying working together will actually bring the money. It'll attract the money to us. And so, you know, it started there and that's kind of an interesting thing. You know, I think the people in the room when we were doing our orientations were a little thrown off, like this guy didn't just preach for 30 minutes to us about good customer service. And, you know, yeah. we don't tolerate bad customer service around here. No, we really got into it. We dug in deep. And that I think was a, a starting point. We started there and then we talked about empathy. Then we talked about some of these other things that really created a lot of buy-in from folks who maybe hadn't thought about customer service in that depth before. Mm. That would that would definitely be. I think that definitely was a competitive advantage for us as we entered this market. That was a pretty competitive market. Yeah, and I mean, you have to stand out in some way, and it sounds like you've done that by really building that that excellent customer service and building the culture within your company of hey, we're a team and we have this one goal that we're all going towards together. It's not uh, I'm your boss and you're my employees relationship. It's a we're a team and we're going to do this together. And I feel like that whole culture that you've built really will keep everybody motivated because they know why they're there. They're not just there to get a paycheck. They're there to help the company and they're loving what they're doing. Yeah. And the paycheck so, is almost, the paycheck is really important. Don't get me wrong, Yeah, but I never have gotten paid enough for what I do. I still mm -hmm. don't get paid enough. You probably don't get paid enough for what you do. You know, yeah. the, the real value isn't there and the real value won't be there until a little bit later down the road when we've put in the work and when we've, made the correct decisions for how we, how we work in a job. Right. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, you know, life is a journey and we want to enjoy that journey. And part of that journey is work. And that's part of what we were cut out to do. And so I think that there's nothing better than working in something that you're truly passionate about, something that you love doing. And I think that life is too short and there are certainly so many ways to make money now uh, here in this completely digital world that we live in that, you know, why do something that you're going to be miserable in? It robs yourself of the time. It robs the client of the experience. It robs your boss of the money you're, they're paying you. 
so yeah, I'm, I am, as you can tell, I'm <laughs> super yeah. passionate about, about customer service, the customer experience, and just our, our team, like working with a team. Yeah, that, that's awesome. So going uh, back over to Corona, you know, the, the elephant in the world. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. How has that really affected your business? Has it, is the media side, has that taken off a little bit more? Has the actual wedding planning declined a little bit? Let's dive into that a little bit. In March, we were really geared up to completely kill it this year. This was going to be a record-breaking year for us. Uh, we were we were basically doubling every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had you know added on employees. We had taken on larger office space. We had done all this different stuff. And when COVID came, you know, in a matter of six weeks, we lost almost six hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Wow! So just yeah. gutted. I mean, we were doing Comic Con and Stagecoach and like all these huge events that were coming up the farmers insurance open, which is actually going on right now. And it's one of the first and last couple of years that we haven't been involved in because they're going fanless this year. But, you know, when that happened, it definitely took about a month or two of just calibrating and figuring Mm -hmm. out what are we doing? And I have to say that I definitely at times felt super anxious and wondering like, were we going to be able to withstand this? Is our industry completely changing? Should we just jump ship and get out? You know, I entertained the idea of starting a, a PPE company and, you know, even, you know, uh, sold some masks on the side randomly to kind of see if that's something what, that I wanted to do. But one of the fun things about being an entrepreneur is you can really pivot very quickly. Yeah. And so what we did is we tried a couple of things. We, we looked at what was going on in the world. We looked at what we were passionate about, what we wanted to do, the direction that we wanted to take our our company. And we unfortunately did have to scale down quite a bit on the event side, but that did allow us some momentum into just increasing what the media company did. And then also starting really to put a lot of serious effort behind the podcast, you know, my personal podcast, and then the venue RX, which is more of a wedding and event driven podcast. And, and that has been the most fun to me. Getting a chance to kind of hit a reset button and evaluate everything we did, evaluate our company culture that we had, the people that we were working with, everything, and really rebuild in a very, very solid way. And so for me, it's been one of the most difficult things, but at the same time, a really great blessing. And I'm excited. I'm really excited for this next season in life because I think it's, it's very promising. And this time has allowed us some reflection time to reset, but now hit it harder than ever. That's awesome. Yeah, we see that a lot too. Uh, that's another common theme within entrepreneurship, just like you were saying, is we have to have the ability to shift quick. And so it's awesome to see that you're able to really find a way to make that shift rather than what 99% of people do. And they're like, oh, shoot, this this one thing happened. I guess I'm just stuck. I guess I'll just BK the company and go back to get a job, you know? And uh, just to see that you're able to really make a shift and say, okay, well, where are there blue oceans within this market? Or where can I shift and get an advantage on my competitors by going more digital, you know, going this certain way. So it's really cool to hear that too. One of the questions that I love to ask people is what is one of the best investments you made? Not necessarily financial, but it could be a uh, time, energy, or money. What is an investment that you've made that has definitely paid off? What a question at such a time with everything going on with the whole uh, Reddit thing, Wall Street bets, and everything with GameStop and AMC. Oh yeah, uh, and 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 the way crypto's behaving. Yeah, you know, I I think investing into my team and investing into myself. I think it's always investing into people. And 
I think that many business leaders could feel very discouraged when they're dealing with people. You know, I, I talk to folks all the time who complain about, you know, there's no, no good employees out there and there's not, you know, the, the, the quality of folks out there in the marketplace and the job market is so low. And, you know, there are those complaints and that's certainly true some of the time, but I think that you can never go wrong investing in yourself and investing into your people because even if things don't work out, even if you end up not being able to work with someone for whatever reason, you still have spent that time understanding more of who you're looking for you know, crystallizing that vision of, of the type of person that you want to work with, whether it's an employee, whether it's a business partner, you know, whether it's an affiliate, whoever it is, right? Yeah. Really understanding and crystallizing who that person is and how you would talk to the next person, how you would work with them, how you can be more effective as a leader. And then certainly for yourself, you know, investing that time into yourself, reading books, listening to books on podcasts, understanding yourself, understanding what triggers you, where you're most productive, that definitely for me has, you know, reaped, I feel like I've reaped so many, so many benefits from taking the time to just kind of look inward and evaluate, like, am I, am I doing the right thing by my company, by my family, uh, by our clients? And so, yeah, definitely investing into yourself and investing into your team. Yeah. I love that. So essentially you're saying surround yourself with people, invest in people, invest in yourself through, through books, through podcasts, through whatever outlet it is of learning. Um, going along the line with that, what is one of the top three books that you've, you've read that you've been able to apply that you've seen a significant ROI? Man, top three books. I'm literally looking over here. There's yeah. <laughs> so many. I'm, uh, I'm actually in the process on my YouTube channel of reading a book every single week and then re- reviewing it. Ooh. Man, there's been, there's been so many. Okay, so one that I absolutely love is called Gap Selling by Keenan. Mm. So that one for me, I really hope to have that guy on my podcast. Uh, I love the idea of problem-based selling and really understanding the gap between between you know the current state of where employees are and the, and the future or employees clients yeah. and then their their optimum future state. Uh, love Gap Selling. Um, Man, there's a book called Fast Lane Millionaire or Millionaire Fast Lane by MJ DeMarco mm-hmm. that I loved. And that was kind of one of the first books that I really read about entrepreneurship that changed my mindset a little bit about uh, entrepreneurship and, and my thinking about money. That one definitely has been influential. You wanted three. Man, there's 80-20 selling by, by uh, 80-20 sales and marketing by Perry Marshall. There's... Mm-hmm. Never split the difference. I mean, there's so it's really hard. It's really hard to find hard to an exact point. point. I love those yeah. books also that are, oh, just impossible. I love those books also that are stories about real things that happen with companies. You know, there's the story. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a, a book about Jeff Bezos and how he built Amazon. I'm forgetting the one. There's there's two that are really good about Netflix. One is actually written by Reed Hastings, but the other one is written by their first CEO. The name's escaping right now. It's a red book. It'll come to me, but yeah, yeah, really, really good. But I love those stories and kind of reflector reflections of founders as they went through something that's super incredible. And then they go back and write on it and they kind of take character lessons from that. That for me is really impactful because it's not just a, like a business consultant or a coach or someone like that writing a book for a skill set, but it's their reflection on what, what really helped them to succeed, where they could have done different kind of some of those reflections I think are invaluable. Hundred mm, percent. Yeah. Something that I actually try to do is I try to read one biography or autobiography 
one mindset book and one skill set, more tactical book at a time. Totally. I jump all over the place, you know, with ADD, but I try to read, if I'm reading three different books at a time, I'll try to read one of each. And the reason for the actual autobiography is really because it's in line with environmental exposure. And if like you have a mentor or a coach, you're, you're learning directly from them. But if you have a book of Steve Jobs that he wrote or of Warren Buffett of any of these guys that have had ridiculous success, then I am learning directly really from them. It's like almost hiring them as a coach or a mentor, you know, and learning what were they thinking about? What is their mindset? What did, what decisions did they make when they had these tough decisions, you know, and really reading those I've learned more than probably any other book that I've read. Yeah. Yep, Especially about mindset, decision-making, stuff like that. And yeah, I know you mentioned some of the books you mentioned, um, Never Split a Difference. That's definitely in my top. I love that book. Blue Ocean Strategy is a good one. I know you mentioned Blue, Blue Ocean. Yeah, yeah Blue um, Ocean Strategy. I got turned on to that one by Patrick David. Uh, his book's actually really good as well. Mm -hmm. um, the one that he came out with earlier this year. And again, or early, earlier last year, sometimes the names of the books escape me, but like yeah. When you're reading a book a week, I don't blame you. <laughs> yeah. I actually used to read more. I read about 120 books last year. Wow. I did have more time on my hands, but I found that I, I read very fast and my comprehension's decent, but I really wanted to pick apart some of the things that were in the books. Mm -hmm. And I didn't just want to blast through it and kind of just read it. I really wanted to like digest it kind of like a, a course in school. Yeah. You know? So that's funny that you say that. Cause I've done the same exact thing. I've read, pro I think I've read 73 books at this point wow. since I graduated college. And um, I was looking through the list of, okay, well I've read this one. I've read this one and trying to remember like, what did I actually learn from this book? It's like, okay, I remember there are a lot of key concepts in here, but I didn't apply anything. I read through it. I forgot pretty much all of it. I didn't apply any of it. Okay. Then what's the point of actually reading this book just to put a check mark by it? doesn't make any sense. And so what I started to do is taking my time reading through, I would highlight it. And then at the end of the book, I would go through and I would make uh, note cards. And I have a stack of note cards, probably about that big, couple inches right by my bed. And every morning, uh, part of my morning ritual, five to 10 minutes, I'll just flip through it. And so that way I'm instilling those powerful gold nuggets into my mind every single morning. So I'm actually remembering it or I'm actually taking action on the thing that I learned. So I'm not just reading it and it's like, cool, well, it's up here now, but what is the point of reading it? If I'm not going to apply it to my life to make my life better. Amen. Absolutely. I love that. Something that's definitely helped me as far as reading comprehension, but where can the audience find more of you if they want to get to know you better? There's um, a couple different places. And actually I do have a question for you, but I'll, I'll come yeah. back around to that in just a second. Uh, a couple different places. If you're interested in kind of the wedding and event and staffing side of things, you can find out more information about that on thevenuerx.com. We have links for our podcast there. We're also the venue RX on both Instagram and YouTube. And then Amen Media Group is just Amen Media Group on Instagram. We also have a website for that. There's Jonathan Amen com that people can go to. There's a couple of different places. <laughs> Common Sense Events, you can also look that up as well, both on Instagram and uh, on, on the web to kind of get a little bit of a picture of, of what we do. But yeah, Riley, my question for you was, what do you feel is, if you could give me a top three, mm -hmm. what are top three things that you feel like regularly hold you back from accomplishing what you want to accomplish? Maybe not on a daily basis, but maybe a weekly or monthly basis. Top three things that hold me back. Number one would probably be 
indecision and that is just the fear of well what if what if i make the wrong decision and i've really come to the conclusion that most of the decisions that we make that we tell ourselves is an irreversible decision are actually very reversible and just like the clothes we wear can be changed out at any time we choose and so really just learning to go ahead and jump out of that plane and figure out how to build the parachute on the way down has really helped me because there's been so many times that I've been scared to do something, scared to start a podcast. I mean, it took me a while to actually start this podcast. I got all the gear six months ago, you know, we're on episode two here. And so just deciding to not let fear hold me back. One fear. Another thing that holds me back from success would be probably lack of motivation. And that, I mean, the way to really get past that is, I mean, getting clear on your values, because when your values are clear and your vision is clear, then you know where you're going and you're motivated by the outcome that you're trying to get to, you know, and then you can create a whole plan of attack. And I believe if you have a full, if you have a full plan, bulletproof plan, and you just follow that plan with discipline every single day, over the long term, you're going to hit that goal because the way you put the whole plan together is by reverse engineering your goal. What do I have to do every single day to get there? So those are, those are definitely two of them, uh, lack of motivation and uh, fear of, of taking action. Um, I, don't, I don't know about another one. What about you? What is one of your totally. top ones? Yeah, that, that definitely resonated. I think discipline, you know, I am very much a visionary mm-hmm. and you know, I, I say that not as a, a crutch, but as kind of a, a self, awareness piece about myself to know that I need to put people in place around me to help me execute on the vision that I have. And it's exciting when people find their groove and it's exciting for a founder or for an employee or for a partner or for whoever, when you find that groove that you're in, that you can just do what you love and you can feel like you're making a lot of progress. Like that, that flow, that momentum, that inertia is deeply, deeply satisfying. And so just discipline, you know, has been, has been tough for me. And Mm -hmm. so I spend equal parts trying to surround myself with people who can be disciplined and equal parts really trying to be more disciplined myself. That, that would be a huge one. I I think entrepreneurial ADD, just kind Mm -hmm. of like that ADD in general, where you're like, Oh, squirrel. Oh, look at this. Oh, look at that. Oh, you know, and that's funny because your shirt says focus, focus, focus. And I'm the same exact way where I'm like, oh, what is this? Oh, I'll try this. Oh, cool. Cryptocurrency. I'll invest in that. Oh, Shopify dropshipping. Let me try that. Amazon FBA. And just really getting off track of where your vision is. But yep. Yep. That for me, that for me is huge. And then and then I think I struggle with with motivation sometimes too, which might sound weird. And you know, for anyone who knows me who ends up listening to this, you might be like, wait, what? But yeah, I think sometimes I I question, I think a lot of people do this. You question what you want to do. And maybe you don't work as hard towards it because you really haven't identified with the end mm. of what it's going to be. You know, and you, you mentioned yeah. clarifying your goals and kind of knowing where you're headed. I think it's, I think it's more than that. I think a lot of times people aren't convinced about what their goals are, mm. whether it's yeah. like making a million bucks or, you know, if it's a monetary goal, if it's a relational goal, if it's, you know, maybe people say, Oh, if I could only get married, If I could only get married, I could find that perfect partner. You know, there are shows and courses and everything, you know, around this idea of finding this perfect spouse. But it's like, when that happens, like the work has just begun. That's not like, Mm -hmm. that's the fun part. That's the 
best part of it. That's yeah. not the part that takes work, even though it feels like it's taking work, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so what happens is because people aren't clear on what the real end result outcome of that is, what type of person they are in that relationship, what type of person they are with the money, with the big company, with the business success or the career success or the athletic success, whatever, because they're not clear on that, it really stunts the motivation. And in the quiet moments when they should be working, they should be putting in the work, the momentum that comes like in their heart is not there. Yeah. And so I, I have, that's why I love, you know, kind of working on myself, reading books, understanding more about the things that are important, but really like what, what I should be doing with my life, where I'm going to be strongest, how I can most impact my family, my community that helps anchor me so that then when I set my goals, they're actually anchored towards things that really, really actually truly matter. And I have no choice other than to, run towards them. So Dude, I, I think you hit the nail on the head there with that one. And um, a lot of people, when they set their goals, it's really acquisition centered. When I acquire a million dollars, I'll be happy. You get there. Guess what? You're not happy. Look how many billionaires are unhappy because they don't have all these other things in their life, you know? And so if it's just an acquisition, when I acquire this Lamborghini, the sports car I want, when I acquire a wife, when I acquire this, when I acquire that, when it's, when your whole goals are acquisition centered. When I acquire this material thing, you're never going to be happy when you get there. And I think people kind of realize that. And I mean, society tells us that. And one, a quote that I really like that actually has to do with this is um, the genius is very rare. The genius is not rare because it's boring. The genius is very rare due to the conditioning process of society. And only once in a while does a child manage to escape from society's clutches and that is why the genius is seen as crazy and not mainstream until their death. Interesting. Yeah. Where, where is that from? That is from uh, Osho. Okay. Yeah. He's a cult leader up in uh, Oregon, which is kind of funny, but yeah. Interesting. Like, yeah. Very cool. No, I haven't actually, but that's really, really neat. I'm going to have to go look that up now. Yeah. Good well, stuff. Well, awesome, Riley. For uh, coming on the podcast. I know that we delivered a ton of awesome value for the audience today. And, um, yeah, I'll put all your information in the show notes. I'm sure a lot of them will want to go and uh, check you out. And uh, we'll see you next time on the Hungry Few podcast. Thanks, Riley. Appreciate you having me.